Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlota Ekonomu and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Meron. We would like to take this opportunity to wish you all a blessed new year one that is full of love, hope, peace and health. Our program today will be slightly different in that our focus will be on a very important church event, Theophany, which we will celebrate, God willing, on the 6th. In addition, we will speak about Saint Seraphim of Sarov, whom we commemorate today, and a little about the synaxis of the holy glorious prophet, forerunner and Baptist John, which we will commemorate on the 7th. We hope you'll find this program both interesting and spiritually enlightening. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ερεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Axis Radio 106,1 FM. Αυτό γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας κύριος κύριος Μύρονας. Θα ήθελα να σας ευχηθώ καλό καινούριο χρόνο και εύχομαι να είναι ένας χρόνος γεμάτο με αγάπη, ελπίδα, ειρήνη και υγεία. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας σήμερα, από την οποία εύχουμε όλοι μας να οφειλεθούμε πνευματικά. Το πρόγραμμα μας σήμερα θα είναι λίγο διαφορετικό. Θα το αφαιρώσουμε στην Θεοφάνηση που θα γιορτάσουμε πρώτα ο Θεός στις 6 του μηνός. Θα μιλήσουμε κιόλας για τον Αγίο Σεραφείμ της Σάροφ που τον γιορτάζουμε σήμερα και λιγάκι για τη σύναξη του Αγίου Ιωάννη Προφήτης Πρόδρομος και Βαφτιστής που θα τον γιορτάσουμε στις 7 του μηνός. Τώρα όμως ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλέ Φουράνιε. Βασιλέ Φουράνιε, παράκλητε, το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, 
ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, έλθε και σκήνωσον εν ημίν, και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος, και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O gracious one. Let's start out with speaking about Saint Seraphim of Sarov. Saint Seraphim, a great ascetic of the Russian Church, was born in Kursk on July the 19th, 1754. His parents were devout Christians, and toward the end of his life, his father began construction of a cathedral, but died before completing it. His little son, Prochoros, the future Seraphim, therefore remained in the care of his widowed mother, and she continued with the construction of the cathedral. Once she took the seven-year-old Prochoros to the construction site, and he fell from the scaffolding around the seven-story bell tower. He should have been killed, but the Lord preserved the life of the future luminary of the church. The terrified mother ran to her son and found him unharmed. Young Prochoros, endowed with an excellent memory, soon mastered reading and writing. From his childhood he loved to attend church services and to read both the Holy Scripture and the lives of the saints. At one point he was very ill and his life was in danger. In a dream, he saw the mother of God promising to visit and heal him. Soon after, a church procession with the Kursk root icon passed their home, and his mother carried Prochoros in her arms, and he kissed the holy icon, after which he recovered. While still a young boy, Prochoros decided to devote his life to God and to go to a monastery. His mother gave her blessing and also a copper cross, which he wore on his chest for the rest of his life. He then set off on foot with pilgrims going from Kursk to Kiev to venerate the saints of the caves. On November the 20th, 1778, he arrived at Sarov, where the monastery was headed by a wise elder, Father Pachomios. He accepted Pachomios him and put him under the spiritual guidance of the elder Joseph. Under his direction, Prochoros passed through many obediences with zeal and enthusiasm as though serving the Lord himself. By constant work, he guarded himself against despondency, this being, as he later said, the most dangerous temptation for new monks. It is treated by prayer, by abstaining from idle chatter, by strenuous work, by reading the word of God, and by patience, since it is engendered by pettiness of soul, negligence, and idle talk. With the blessing of his elder, he abstained from all food on Wednesdays and Fridays, and went into the forest where, in complete isolation, he practiced the Jesus prayer. After two years as a novice, Prochoros fell ill with dropsy. His body became swollen and he suffered greatly. The illness dragged on for about three years, but he never once complained. 
The elders, fearing that he would die, wanted to call a doctor, but he asked that this not be done, saying, I have entrusted myself, holy fathers, to the true physician of soul and body, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his all-pure mother. He asked that a molibin be offered for his health. While the others were praying in church, Prochoros had a vision in which the Mother of God appeared to him, accompanied by the holy apostles Peter and John the theologian. Pointing with her hand towards the sick monk, the most holy virgin said to St. John, He is one of our kind. Then she touched his side with her staff, and immediately the fluid that had swelled up and his body began to flow through the incision she made. After the molibin, the brethren found that Prochoros had been healed and that only a scar remained as evidence of the miracle. Soon, at the place of the appearance of the Mother of God, an infirmary church was built for the sick. With his own hand, St. Seraphim made an altar table for the chapel out of cypress wood, and he always received the holy mysteries in this church. After eight years as a novice, he was tonsured a monk with the name Seraphim. After a year, he was ordained as Erodeacon. Earnestly, he served in the temple every day, incessantly praying even after the service. The Lord granted him visions during the church services, and he often saw holy angels serving with the priests. During the divine liturgy on Great and Holy Thursday, he had another vision. After the small entrance with the gospel, he pronounced the words, O Lord, save the God-fearing, and hear us, and unto ages of ages. Suddenly he was blinded by a bright ray of light, and looking up he beheld the Lord Jesus Christ coming through the western doors of the temple, surrounded by the bodiless powers of heaven. The Lord blessed all those praying and entered into his icon to the right of the royal doors. Saint Seraphim, in spiritual rapture after this miraculous vision, was unable to utter a word, nor to move from the spot. They led him by the hand into the altar where he just stood for another three hours, his face having changed colour from the great grace that shone upon him. After the vision, the saint intensified his efforts and toiled at the monastery by day and spent his nights praying in his forest cell. In 1793 he was ordained a priest and served divine liturgy every day. After the death of Father Pachomius, Saint Seraphim received the blessing of the new abbot to live alone in a remote part of the forest three and a half miles from the monastery. He named his new home Mount Athos and devoted himself to solitary prayer. He went to the monastery only on Saturday before the all-night vigil and returned to his forest cell after Sunday's liturgy, at which he partook of the divine mysteries. He spent his time in ascetical struggles. His cell rule of prayer was based on the rule of St. Bachomios for the ancient desert monasteries. He always carried the Holy Gospels with him, reading the entire New Testament in a week. He also read the Holy Fathers in the service books. The saint learned many of the church hymns by heart and sang them while working in the forest. Around his cell he cultivated a garden and set up a beehive. 
He kept a very strict fast, eating only once during the entire day, and on Wednesdays and Fridays he completely abstained from food. On the first Sunday of the great fast, he did not partake of food at all until Saturday, when he received the holy mysteries. He was sometimes so absorbed by the unceasing prayer of the heart that he remained without stirring, neither hearing nor seeing anything around him. His solitude was often disturbed by visits from monks and laymen who sought his advice and blessing. Then, receiving a sign that the Lord approved of his desire for complete silence, he banned all visitors. Through the prayers of the saint, the pathway to his wilderness cell was blocked by huge branches blown down from ancient pine trees. Now only the birds and the wild beasts visited him. They came at midnight and waited for him to complete his rule of prayer. Then he would feed them all, bears, lynxes, foxes, rabbits, and even wolves with bread from his hand. He also had a bear which would obey him and ran errands for him. With even more zeal, Saint Seraphim intensified his toil and began a new ascetical struggle in the imitation of Saint Simeon the Stylite, whereby each night he climbed on an immense rock in the forest or on a smaller one in his cell, resting only for short periods. He stood or knelt, praying with upraised hands, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He prayed this way for a thousand days and nights. In 1807, the abbot of the monastery died, and Saint Seraphim was asked to take his place, but he declined this offer. He then lived in silence for three years, completely cut off from the world, except for the monk who came once a week to bring him food. If the saint encountered a man in the forest, he fell face down and did not get up until the passerby had moved on. After that, he was told to either come to the monastery on Sundays for divine services as before or to move back into the monastery. He chose the latter since it had become too difficult for him to walk from his forest cell to the monastery, and so in the year 1810 he returned to the monastery after 15 years of living in the wilderness. Continuing his silence, he shut himself in his cell, occupying himself with prayer and reading. He was also permitted to eat meals and to receive communion in his cell. There he attained the height of spiritual purity and was granted special gifts of grace by God, the gifts of clairvoyance and wonder-working. After five years of solitude, he opened his door and allowed the monks to enter but continued his silence, teaching them only by his example. On November the 25th in the year 1825, the Mother of God, accompanied by the two holy hierarchs commemorated on that day, the Eromarta Clement of Rome and St. Peter, Archbishop of Alexandria, appeared to him in a vision and told him to end his seclusion and to devote himself to others. So he divided his time between life in the forest and at the monastery and opened the doors of his cell to pilgrims as well as his fellow monks. 
He saw into the hearts of people and, as a spiritual physician, healed their infirmities of both soul and body through prayer and by his grace-filled words. Those coming to him felt his great love and tenderness. No matter what time of the year it was, he would greet everyone with the words, Christ is risen, my joy. He especially loved children. And once a young girl said to her friends, Father Seraphim only looks like an old man. He is really a child like us. The elder was often seen leaning on his stick and carrying a knapsack filled with stones. When asked why he did this, the saint humbly replied, I am troubling him who troubles me. Shortly before his death, St. Seraphim saw the Queen of Heaven once more, this time in the company of St. John the Baptist, the Apostle John the Theologian, and twelve virgin martyrs. The Most Holy Virgin spoke at length with him and finally said to him, Soon, my dear one, you shall be with us. St. Seraphim became noticeably weaker and spoke much about his approaching end. During this time, they often saw him sitting by his coffin, which he had placed in the anteroom of his cell, and which he had in fact prepared for himself. The saint himself had marked the place where, finally, they would bury him near the altar of the Domitian Cathedral. On January the 1st, in the year 1833, Father Seraphim went to the church of St. Zosimus and Sabatius one last time for liturgy and received the holy mysteries, after which he blessed the brethren and bid them farewell, saying, Save your souls, do not be despondent, but watchful. Today crowns are being prepared for us. The following day, on the 2nd of January, Father Paul, who was St. Seraphim's cell attendant, left his own cell at six in the morning to attend the early liturgy. He noticed the smell of smoke coming from the saint's cell. St. Seraphim would often leave candles burning in his cell, and Father Paul was concerned that they would start a fire. While I am alive, St. Seraphim had once said, there will be no fire. But when I die, my death shall be revealed by a fire. When they opened the door, it appeared that books and other things were smouldering. Saint Seraphim was found kneeling before an icon of the Mother of God, with his arms crossed on his chest. Let's listen now to a droparion for Saint Seraphim. Dobândind iubirea 
start speaking about the significance of Theophany and we will do this through a number of readings. The first one is by way of introduction and then following that we will go into more detail. So to begin I'll read a section from the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately as he was coming up from the water, he saw the heavens being parted and the spirit like a dove coming down upon him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the great feast of the Orthodox Church celebrating the revelation of the Trinitarian God and the beginning of the public work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was 30 years old, he began his teaching with his baptism in the Jordan River by St. John the Baptist. It was at this time that the Holy Trinity, as prophesied in the Old Testament, was fully made known to the world. The Father was revealed through sense of hearing by his voice. The Spirit was revealed through the sense of sight with the appearance of the dove, and the Son, Jesus himself, was revealed to the sense of touch. The Father uttered his witness about the Son, the Son was baptized in the water, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove hovered above the water. It is when John the Baptist witnessed and said about Christ, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When John immersed and baptized the Lord in the River Jordan, the mission of Christ in the world and the path of our salvation was shown. St. John Chrysostom points out that it was not at his birth that Jesus made himself known to all, but at his baptism. He writes, Until this time he was not known to the people, and that the people did not know him, who he was. Listen about this to John the Baptist, who says, There stands one among you whom you do not know. And it is surprising that others did not know him, even when the Baptist did not know him until that day. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What, though, is the meaning of theophany? Theophany means the showing forth of God or the manifestation of God. At his baptism, Jesus Christ was revealed as truly God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. 
This feast was the first major feast celebrated by the church. It was considered to be one of the most important events in the history of our salvation because it made known God as the Holy Trinity. The Trinitarian nature of God is the foundation of the Christian faith. If God is not God in Trinity, then Jesus is not who he claimed to be and there is no salvation. It is important because it proclaims the truth of the gospel that God is rightly defined as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. second reading which is entitled Rejoice, Theophany is Approaching. We now approach the day of Theophany, the day in which the divinity of Jesus is revealed to us through his baptism by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. On this day we know him as the Son of God who came for our salvation. Prior to this time there was a Jewish baptism which cleansed the body from impurities such as touching the bones of the dead, eating unclean foods or being with lepers. But it did not remove sins. In scripture it says, Let one wash his body in pure water and he will be unclean until evening and then he will be clean. This Jewish practice was a preparation of what was to come. The baptism that was established by Christ was much more as it was for the forgiveness of sins through the Holy Spirit and they were more than forgiven. They were absolved through grace. John the Baptist baptized those who repented of their sins but did not grant forgiveness through grace. Sins were not absolved through his baptism. John says, I baptize you with water. That one, however, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus came to be baptized by St. John not because he needed to be forgiven his sins, being sinless, nor to receive the Holy Spirit, being one with the Spirit already, but to show us the path we are to take to be relieved of our sinfulness and to receive the Holy Spirit to abide within us. John's baptism in water was also a preparation so Christ would be known and so we could receive the sacrament. Because John was known as a prophet, his baptism of Christ had great meaning to the people so they would believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We rejoice at this theophany for Jesus showed us the way for our renewal to begin. He was announced as the Son of God for all to see, submitting to John's baptism with humility. Jesus says, Except you be converted and become children, you shall not enter into the heavenly kingdom. Amen. Ενίτε αυτόν, ενίτες δυναστίες αυτού, ενίτε αυτόν. 
which is entitled Theophany, More Than Blessing of Waters. Too often we only think about this time as the time when we get holy water from the church or when the priest comes to bless our homes, but the significance of this event is so much more. Saint Ipotilus tells us why Jesus was baptised, speaking from the viewpoint of Jesus. Baptize me, John, in order that no one may despise baptism. I am baptized by thee, the servant, that no one among kings or dignitaries may scorn to be baptized by the hand of a poor priest. Suffer me to go down into the Jordan in order that they may hear my father's testimony and recognize the power of the Son. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness." Then at length John suffers him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and the heavens were opened unto him, and lo, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and rested upon him. And a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus wanted to emphasize the role of the priest in baptizing those who chose to follow him. He wanted all to hear the testimony of the Father so others would accept him as his son as this was the time he began his pu- public ministry. Antipolitus continues uplifting our sight even higher. Do you see, beloved, how many and how great blessings we would have lost if the Lord had yielded to the exhortation of John and declined baptism? For the heavens were shut before this. The region above was inaccessible. We would in that case descend to the lower parts, but we would not ascend to the upper. But was it only that the Lord was baptized? He also renewed the old man and committed to him again the scepter of adoption, for straight away the heavens were open to him. A reconciliation took place of the visible with the invisible. The celestial orders were filled with joy. The diseases of earth were healed. Secret things were made known. Those at enmity were restored to amity. For you have heard the word of the evangelist saying, The heavens were open to him on account of three wonders. For when Christ the bridegroom was baptized, it was meet that the bridal chamber of heaven should open its brilliant gates. And in like manner also, when the Holy Spirit descended in the form of the dove, and the Father's voice spread everywhere, it was meet that the gates of heaven should be lifted up. 
Most significantly, we see in this event that the hymns are open for all mankind who follow Christ and join with him through baptism to become his adopted children. Christ shows us that we begin our journey with him through baptism. This is a holy sacrament where heavens are opened and we join with the Holy Trinity to be transformed, born again, so we can become like him and have eternal life in his kingdom as one of his children. Now to our fourth reading entitled Holy Day of Light. St. Gregory the Theologian refers to this great time of celebration in the Church as the Day of Light. He says, For the holy day of lights to which we have come and which we are celebrating today has for its origins the baptism of my Christ, the true light that lightens every man that comes into the world and affects my purification and assists that light which we receive from the beginning from him above from but which we darkened by sin. The image of Christ as one who brings light to the world can be a powerful one if we realize that without him we are in darkness. It is his light that lights the path to his kingdom, to union with God. Without it the path is impossible to find, and we are left wandering in darkness seeking what we cannot find. St. Gregory continues saying, Therefore listen to the voice of God, which sounds so exceedingly clear to me, who am both disciple and master of these mysteries, as would to God it may sound to you. I am the light of the world. Therefore approach ye to him and be enlightened, and let not your faces be ashamed, being signed with the true light. It is a season of new birth. Let us be born again. It is a time of reformation. Let us receive again the first Adam. Let us not remain what we are, but let us become what we once were. See the grace of the day. See the power of his majesty. St. Gregory also says, Jesus goes up and out of the water, for with himself he carries up the world, and sees the heaven opened which Adam had shut against himself, and all his prosperity as the gates of paradise by the flaming sword. And the Spirit bears witness to his Godhead, for he descends upon one that is like him, as does the voice from heaven. And like a dove, for he honors the body, by being seen in a body form.
And now for our fifth reading. Theophany is the day when we all come to know Jesus Christ as one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Today, the Holy Trinity is revealed to us without question. Let us call God to mind, St. Gregory the Theologian says. Since the chief point of the festival is the remembrance of God, let us call God to mind. But who is God that is revealed this day? It is our triune God that is revealed. St. Gregory further explains the nature of our triune God. He says, And when I speak of God, you must be illumined at once by one flash of light and by three. Three in individualities or hypostases, if any prefers so to call them, or persons, for we will not quarrel about names so long as the syllables amount to the same meaning but one in respect of the substance, that is, the Godhead. For they are divided without division, if I may say so, and they are united in division. For the Godhead is one in three, and the three are one, in which the Godhead is, or to speak more accurately, who are the Godhead? Excesses and defects we will omit, neither making the unity a confusion, nor the division a separation. St. Gregory further says, At his birth we duly kept festival, with the star we ran, and with the magi we worshipped, and with the shepherds we were illuminated, and with the angels we glorified him, and with Simeon we took him up in our arms, and with Anna the aged and chaste we made our response of confession. And thanks be to him who came to his own in the guise of a stranger, because he glorified the stranger. Now we come to another action of Christ and another mystery. I cannot restrain my pleasure. I am wrapped unto God. Almost like John, I proclaim good tidings. Christ is illumined. Let us shine forth with him. Christ is baptized. Let us descend with him that we may also ascend with him. Jesus is baptized, but we must attentively consider not only this, but somehow other points. Who is he, and by whom is he baptized, and at what time? He is the all-pure, and he is baptized by John, and the time is the beginning of his miracles. What are we to learn and to be taught by this? To purify ourselves first, to be lowly-minded, and to preach only in maturity, both of spiritual and bodily stature. In conclusion, then, the Feast of Theophany shows us an important lesson, that being that our main task is this task of purification. Christ purposely began his public ministry with this act of purification before he began his preaching and healing. This is why Christ created the church and all its sacraments to enable our purification with our baptism as the starting point. As we become purified, then we too will be able to preach just like Christ and his disciples. If we try too soon without proper purification, we may only mislead. Let's join in the purification through the renewal of our baptism as we celebrate this feast of Theophany.
receive the holy waters of purification with repentance and joy. joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. I'm Carlota Ekonomu and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programs at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section.
Let's now speak about the synaxis of the holy glorious prophet, forerunner and Baptist John. In the Orthodox Church, it is customary on the day following the great feasts of the Lord and the Mother of God to remember those saints who participated directly in the sacred event. So today, the day following the Theophany of the Lord, the Church honours the one who participated directly in the baptism of Christ, placing his own hand upon the head of the Saviour. St. John, the holy forerunner and Baptist of the Lord, whom the Lord called the greatest of the prophets, concludes the history of the Old Testament and opens the era of the New Testament. The holy prophet John bore witness to the only begotten Son of God, incarnate in the flesh. St. John was accounted worthy to baptize him in the waters of the Jordan, and he was a witness of the theophany of the Most Holy Trinity on the day of the Saviour's baptism. The holy prophet John was related to Jesus on his mother's side, being the son of the priest Zachariah and the righteous Elizabeth, and he was born six months before Christ. The archangel Gabriel announced his birth in the temple at Jerusalem, revealing to Zachariah that a son was to be born to him. Through the prayers offered beforehand, the child was filled with the Holy Spirit. St. John prepared himself in the wilds of the desert for his great service by a strict life, by fasting, prayer, and sympathy for the fate of God's people. At the age of 30, he came forth preaching repentance. He appeared on the banks of the Jordan to prepare the people by his preaching to accept the Saviour of the world. In church hymnology, St. John is called a bright morning star whose gleaming outshone the brilliance of all the other stars, announcing the coming dawn of the day of grace, illumined with the light of the spiritual sun, our Lord Jesus Christ. Having baptized the sinless Lamb of God, St. John soon died a martyr's death, beheaded by the sword on orders of King Herod at the request of his daughter Salome. His body was buried in the Samaritan city of Sevaste. The holy evangelist Luke, who went preaching Christ in various cities and towns, came to Sevaste, where they gave him the right hand of the holy prophet John, the very hand with which he had baptized Christ the Saviour. The evangelist Luke took it with him to his native city of Antioch, but when the Muslims seized Antioch centuries later, a deacon named Job brought the holy hand of the forerunner from Antioch to Chalhidon. From there, on the eve of the Theophany of the Lord, it was transferred to Constantinople in the year 956, where it has remained since that time. Give me the
time together today, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. I hope that you have enjoyed today's special program and that you'll join us again next Sunday. Again, we'd like to wish everyone a blessed new year full of love, hope, peace and health. We look forward to seeing you soon and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all. Herete.
by Wellington Access Radio, get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.